It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, here recording this on Mother's Day. Uh, now, both of us live uh, a bit farther away from our mothers, so we still have some time to get away for a little bit, record a pod. I got my FaceTime in just a few minutes ago, so I hope everybody pampered their mothers a little bit. Um, if, if you're able to spend some time with them, I hope you did. If you weren't able to, you know, we have this technology now, which is nice. Hopefully you got them a nice gift and, uh, you know, our mothers are worth pampering from time to time. So Scott, uh, other than that, how are we doing on this Sunday? Go moms, shout out mom and all the moms. Uh, we're doing good. I think it's mailbag Sunday. I guess we can call it mailbag Monday cause it's dropping tomorrow. Um, the alliteration is better that way. Yeah. Mailbag Monday on a Sunday. Uh, yeah, excited. We got some good questions. Shout out everybody, especially uh, a select few who had a few questions to Boone share. Boon for three went wild. Wild. <laughs> I it's, appreciate it's, it's that. Boon for three mailbag Monday, honorary uh, mailbag name. And also for, for the good people out there, uh, some congratulations are in order for our co-host Scott Martin here. Chelsea FC is on to a Champions League final. I don't know how many people give a shit about soccer, but uh, Scott, as a as a long supporter of Chelsea Football Club, uh, I got to wonder how that feels. Feels good. I, yeah, 10 years. In the, I mean, their last Champions League win was 2012, and I think it was their first one. Um, so it's exciting to be back. Um, yeah, what is that, in like two weeks, I think? So playing Manchester City, who they just beat yesterday. So uh, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Been burned a couple of times as a Chelsea fan. So keeping it at arm's length, but definitely exciting. Yeah, I've, I, I've followed soccer most of my life. I played when I was younger. And this year, I, I think because of COVID, a lot of people were trying to pick up new things. We were waiting for football season. So we, we were all wondering, is Michigan State even going to play? And we're all trying to figure out some new things. And I've been watching Premier League most of my life. Um, Saturday mornings, there's always a match like before college football starts. So you can you can wake up, have the uh, Premier League match on one TV, have college game day on the other TV, something like that. And this year was the first year I tried to pick a team. And I, just nothing really stuck. I, I've recently gone over to Wolves. 
And it's a fun team, but the problem is that I'm already considering is the whole reason I picked Wolves is they have this dude, Adama Traore, who is just an absolute beast. Like he looks like a legit like middle linebacker on a football pitch, uh, on a soccer pitch. So basically the whole reason I picked them was because of him. And I like, if he leaves, I'll have no reason to watch them anymore. So I I need to pick a team. That's like, really, I feel good about supporting. Uh, Maybe I'll hop on the Chelsea bandwagon. I don't know, but I'll have to get myself a real premier league team. Yeah. Chelsea's the way to go. I mean, you've seen, obviously the success man city's on top of the world liverpool's back down um arsenal stinks so that's pretty much all you need to know <laughs> other than that's our, our good friend scott Dripcheck is an arsenal fan that i know has been suffering for years um other than that though we we got some michigan state uh a, a little bits of news here that we'll get to real quick. And then, like we said, we got a pretty deep mailbag. So we'll try to get to all the questions here. And I appreciate everybody that submitted a question. If you missed out on this round of mailbag questions, uh, make sure you're following along on Twitter at standing room MSU or at Spartan Martin 18 is Scott's account as well. Uh, we'll usually, if we're going to do a mailbag, we'll usually put that call out on Friday or Saturday. Cause we're usually recording on Sundays in the off season. Um, so make sure you're following along and you'll get that notification when we do drop a, a request for mailbag questions. But other than that, I mean, you can hit us on email. If, if you don't have a Twitter or you're not checking Twitter that often, it's standingroomspartans at gmail.com. So you can always send us an email at any time, uh, throw in a mailbag question over there, and we'll make sure we hit on it on the, the next episode uh instagram's at standing room spartans you can drop one over there as well so you know make sure that you're keeping up with this stuff throughout the off season we got a a lot that's already kind of it planned out and in the works but for example the uh before spring football i don't remember exactly what when it was but we did the dynasty draft uh not dynasty draft the what what do we call the decade draft there we go where we drafted kind of our offense and defense for the last 10 years. Scott and I went toe to toe on that one where, where we did it basically drafting two teams that would be playing against each other. It was a lot of fun. We got some good feedback on that. So we're going to do some more stuff in that light as the off season kind of wears along here. So, you know, keep, keep following. I, I know it's a long off season, but we have some stuff planned for you. And if you have any ideas for us, like I said, it's a long off season. So we're always open to recommendations. You can drop us a tweet, email, Instagram, DM, all of the above. So wanted to get that out of the way in terms of news around the program. The big news was the scheduled uh, non-conference game against Louisiana, uh, which is scheduled for, what is it like 2030 or something? (laughs) 2024, I think uh, more realistically, but there was something that we had just rescheduled. I think it was BYU. We rescheduled for like 2031 or something. I, the I next love day that was available. Scheduling. <laughs> uh, but Probably 20, like three coaches down the road. <laughs> right. 2024, Louisiana will be coming to Michigan State to play us. And in 2025, I'm just like reading the news uh, to make sure. I think it's a one-time deal, but anyways, we're playing Louisiana and I'll tell you why I hate it because it's dumb. Uh, (laughs) No, 
like I, I we've talked about this on the pod before scheduling high level group of five things in my teams is in my opinion is the dumbest thing that an athletic director can do for a football program. There is, it's a lose, lose situation. If you, if you win great, you beat a group of five team. It does nothing for your resume. It does nothing for your reputation as a program. It's not going to be in the national spotlight. And if you lose, which Louisiana good football program, they can sneak up on a lot of people. They beat Iowa state in the first game last season. Iowa State went on to play in the Big 12 championship game. That was a good Iowa State team. Louisiana just straight up beat them. And so when you lose a game like that, it can be devastating, man. Like, wow, you, I remember the headlines the first, after that first week of college football, it was like, holy cow, man, this Iowa State team, we thought they were going to be good this year. They just lost to Louisiana. Like, what's going on over there in Ames? It can be rough. So I, there's, it's a lose lose situation. And you're playing against a team who you can lose to. If you're going to play against a team you can lose to, you should just go out and schedule another power five team. That's going to give you a little bit more benefit. If you beat them, I just don't get it. I don't understand why we schedule Boise state. I don't understand why teams schedule Appalachian state or Cincinnati or any of these schools. I know we want to see those matchups as a college football fan. We want to see Cincinnati be playing big time programs so that we can give them the legitimate case for a playoff or whatever the case may be. But for the school themselves, there's no reason to, and I just don't get it. Yeah. The silver lining here is that um, Louisiana in 2024 likely will not be the Louisiana of 2020 or 2021. Um, obviously if they keep up a hot streak like that, their coach is as good as gone. No offense to group of five teams. It's just the way it is. So chances are he'll either be gone or they will have regressed back to the mean either way. So we probably won't be facing this Louisiana team from last season. That said, I agree. You know, these group of five schools can have solid five, six year stints. Um, I mean, you look like a Boise state from back in the day, they had, a good few years and they're still up there in the group of five. Um, so if they maintain their strength, this is going to be a schedule that you just do not like to have uh, September 14th, four days before my birthday. I don't want a birthday loss. So uh, we'll have to think about it going forward, but don't love it. Don't really know why you do it, um, but it is what it is. And I love the little chili pepper in Louisiana's um, logo. As the, <laughs> the rage of Cajuns, baby. I, yeah. It's, it's a school that, like you said, uh, so Billy Napier is their head coach. He already had, I I'm pretty sure, uh, South Carolina offered him this year, this off season. So like he had an sec offer and he already turned that down because I, I think he kind of knows his name's getting floated for some of these big time jobs. So realistically, like you said, four years from now, he's not going to be there, but this is still a program that under their last head coach, they had a, a five straight five years in a row where they won nine games. Uh, this is a pretty good program. And so I don't know. I just, I don't get it. I don't like it. Hopefully probably we'll still beat them, right? We'll still be a favorite. Like you said, their head coach probably won't be there. It'll be a new regime and, and you know, they won't be the current status of like a top 20 potential team in college football, but I, I still just philosophically completely disagree with this and I, I don't understand why schools keep making this mistake 
Uh, we, we were just looking it up before this because there's a question we'll hit on with uh, Miami who were playing this offseason or this coming season. And we were taking a look. They play Alabama, Michigan State, and Appalachian State in the non-conference. And it's like, okay, uh, Alabama, sure, you get that big primetime game. It's good for the fans. It's good for the recruits to show them like, hey, we're going to put you under the spotlight if you want a chance at the NFL, you're going to be playing against these type of teams. That's great. You play against Michigan State, that's going to be a game that's on national TV. It's a game you can win. That's great. But then make your third game against, you know, Florida Atlantic, right? Don't play Appalachian State. You're just you're walking into a bad situation. And I I don't know. That, that's kind of enough talk about a game that's going to happen 4 years from now. But I, I saw that come out on Twitter, and I was just instantly upset about it, clearly. <laughs> How would you feel if they were like a, like a lower-level Power 5 team? Same, same program, same general consistency. You know, they're not winning 12 games a year, but they got some 8-9 win seasons. Like, uh, let's say bottom half of the Big 12. And we, so, and we schedule that. Well, okay. Like let's look at that 2024 schedule. We play Boston college. That's kind of the, the team you're looking for, right? Yeah. It's a power five team. That's not going to do really much of anything in any given season. Um, I would much rather play them because it it's a better look. If you lose, you got to think yeah. like risk reward. There's no reward for beating Boston college. There's also no reward for beating Louisiana, but the risk for losing to Boston college is, well, Hey, it's still a power five team. You can lose to any of these guys in any given week. It's college football. You lose to a G five team and it's, Oh man, like what happened to them this year? Like it's, it's, a, it's just a different reputation when you lose, if you lose. Speaking of what happened to them, we won't belabor this point anymore. What happened to Malik McDowell? Um, he was in the news this week. He got signed kind of out of the blue. I, I wasn't hearing any chatter around his nope. name before this, and the Cleveland Browns picked him up. So uh, obviously always keeping an eye on our NFL Spartans. He was a name that went through some went through some things uh, in his first few years in the league, and I honestly think most people probably wrote him off on finding his way to the NFL again, but he'll be at least in a training camp this year. At least that's uh that's where things are headed. So shout out to him. Yeah. I'm, I'm always somebody who is rooting for second chances and you can definitely make an argument that this is well past his second chance, but um, you know, I, I'm never going to write somebody off for mistakes they made as, as a kid or young adult. I mean, he's, he's got plenty of life ahead of him. Hopefully he's learned from his mistakes and uh, he can, you know, start fresh maybe in Cleveland and, and get his life back in track, get his football career back in track uh, is of a lesser importance. I'm sure everybody will agree with that. But um, I, I think for a lot of these guys, football gives them structure. It gives them something to, you know, really be motivated for. Uh, and, and a lot of times when you see some of these guys get outside of that structure of a football team is when some of these issues start happening. So hopefully, um, you know, his, his life can get back on track and, you know, subsequently the, the football career as well, but always rooting for him. Um, again, 
know, people make mistakes. Let's let everybody listening out there. We all know what's, what's gone on with him, but you know, you got to remember he's still 24 years old. I mean, he's still a kid. So still plenty of life and experience ahead of him, I'm sure. And and hopefully he's learned from those mistakes, but yeah, Malik Dowell back in the, back in the NFL, speaking of back in the NFL, Antoine Simmons is not. And Scott, I don't want to live in a world where Antoine Simmons can't even get a shot on a practice squad. I, I don't want to live in that world. I don't, I, I don't get it. I don't. I mean, I know the testing was bad. I know he's not as big as NFL teams typically like these days. Like he's not a prototype from a testing perspective, but he's just made too many plays in college for a good program against good programs. He reads the game as well as anyone like the tape speaks for itself enough to give the dude a shot. I, I, there have been plenty of guys in the NFL that looked that had a far worse prospects resume who not only got their shot, but became regular players in the NFL. I can't believe it. I mean, the dude loves football. He's a good leader. He has great instincts. If we get to August and nobody has him in a camp, that's just going to be, I, I really, like you said, I, I can't wrap my head around it. I, I, di- I didn't expect him to be drafted at all. We talked about it, right? But like you said, I mean, you can't watch that tape and tell me that he's not a good enough football player to give him a shot. And I, I heard this so recently I was listening to a podcast and they brought up the point. This is something I want to mention when it comes to Antoine Simmons because it's, it's a talking point that I've had before. and. I've made the comment and and many of us have that, man, he's, he's such an instinctive football player. He finds the ball. I was listening to something recently that this kind of a side note that they, they basically said that that term instinctive, it doesn't give the player enough credit because when you're instinctive, it's just a, well, it's, it's natural for him. It doesn't give the credit for the hours and hours and hours of tape that he watched to know where that play went. And so I'm, I'm, you know, hand up. I I've used that term many, many times, and I'm trying to walk it back a little bit and say, kind of change the narrative and, and say, he's a damn smart football player. And you could see that you could see how much preparation he put in week in week out to be able to read the offense as quickly diagnose as quickly as he did. And yeah, I just, I just, I don't want to live in a world where he can't just get a shot. Doesn't make sense. Not only that, I mean, it's, it's not like signing an extra quarterback where like all he's going to do is be a backup quarterback. Like if Antoine Simmons isn't a stud for you right off the bat, he's a like ready to go special teams performer. You could plug him in anywhere on any special teams and and trust the dude to do his job. So I don't know. It's weird. You'd think it's a guy you'd want to give a shot to over, you know, some athletic guy who has no idea what he's doing out there. I don't know, but Joe Bocci is on an active roster right now. Like you're telling me that Joe Bocci can get on an active roster and Antoine Simmons can't like, that doesn't really make sense to me. That doesn't add up. Yeah, hopefully his name will get called soon. I mean, there's still some time for undrafted free agents to get picked up and rosters to get filled out. But I, I expected his name to get called, you know, in that first 
sprint after uh after the draft when dudes are kind of grabbing the crushes you know franchises are grabbing the crushes that uh, they couldn't convince the gm to draft they're going back out to get to get their uh, name on paper yeah and elsewhere in the former michigan state football player world where we're basically living because there's no other news daryl stewart signed with the dresden monarchs so he will be continuing his football career in germany which uh you know, Germany's got a football league, I guess. So that's fun. Germany's a cool place to live and football's a fun game to play. So sounds, sounds like he's got it made. Keeping the dream alive, baby. That's what it's all about. <laughs> so let's get to these mailbag questions. Huh? We got a lot of them. Uh, I want to make sure we give some time to each of them. Some of them are, are kind of quick hitters. Others uh, take a little bit more thought. So the best question on here. I think uh, is, is one regarding Nick Saban and kind of a hypothetical about what would have happened if he stayed, if he stayed for even just a couple more years, we're going to save that one for the end. I think that's a really interesting question that we'll, we'll hit on, but (laughs) Boone for three, Matt Boone, I got to shout you out because you have like eight questions on here. We're going to try to at least hit on all of them. So Matt, appreciate your um i don't know it looked like you just chugged like four cups of coffee and then just went on a rant so i appreciate you first question was what will be a successful 2022 recruiting class for me i i don't really attach like okay you got to have this many four stars or you got to be at this national rank i think it's taking the 2021 class's blueprint which is find a bunch of athletes that fit your, you know, athletic profile that we know Mel Tucker is going to stick to, uh, but maybe just a little bit better version of it, right? You take that 2021 class where you get a guy like uh, we talked about, like Alex Okilo, right? Just this long athletic dude who doesn't really know what he's doing on the football field, but the coaching staff says, you know what? Hey, we trust our coaches that we can figure out a way to teach this guy the game of football, but he's got some athletic traits that we just can't teach anybody else. So I guess for me, it's, it's getting a couple more of those type guys, just a little step up, right? Instead of the, the low three-star type guys, hopefully we're getting the high three-star type guys and we're starting to kind of chip away and keep adding talent to the roster because that's going to be the blueprint for every Mel Tucker class is these athletic kids, Um, whether they're ready to go, ready to play right away is a different story, but that's going to be the blueprint that we're going to see a lot of those type of guys, but hopefully it's just a little bit of a step up, right? Maybe the, maybe we get an Alex Okilo who's been playing football for two years instead of one. That'd be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I agree. I think we're going to stick to the physical mold that they're using. Obviously that a lot has been made of these apparent physical requirements, these, um, you know, make it or break it. If you can't run this fast or lift this much, we're not even going to give you a look. Um, I think we'll stick to that. And what I like about that is that it, it shows Mel Tucker and his coaching staff are betting on themselves. They're saying, give me athletes. Maybe they know the game. Maybe they have some gaps to fill on, on what they know. But what we do know is they're strong, they're fast, and they're big. And if we do our jobs right, they will learn the game. And that physical ability will obviously help 
um, you know, set the, set the foundation for that. And it shows the confidence, you know, and it's an interesting dichotomy, I think, because D'Antonio was kind of a different mold where we were kind of in a similar rung in the, you know, the order of things on, on recruiting programs, especially when D'Antonio started, you know, kind of a shaky program at the time, building something new. So you don't get your pick of the litter. And you can either go with the big guys, the strong guys, the athletic guys who maybe have some, you know, gaps to fill technically, or you can go with the guys who really know the game, but they were kind of overlooked because the physicality wasn't really there. And I think either one is okay. And you can, you can coach to it once you get your guys, but D'Antonio was on the other side where he said, you know what, maybe this guy wasn't a five-star athlete, but he's clearly a five-star football player mentally. So give me that guy. He knows the game. He'll be in the right place. Uh, to make the play. So it's an interesting difference. I think we'll see Mel stay on the physical side, but maybe you have a little bit more of that technical background mixed in to, to make that recruit, you know, a three and a half, four star, like you said. Yeah. The, the days of a Shakur Brown of a Marcus rush, those days are gone, right? We're just not going to get that type of like scrappy undersized type of dude. It's just, that's Mel's going to, that's not even on the board. That's not even a possibility for him to get recruited by Michigan state. So if you're okay with that, which I am, uh, I'm sure most people are, uh, it, it's going to look different. We're not going to have that type of player anymore, but yeah, I, I think that's just, you know, keep chipping away, believe in your system, which it, it certainly seems like Mel Tucker does. And hopefully we, we just see, progression year after year to to a point where hopefully you know this thing can really get rolling and and maybe we start bringing in a top 25 recruiting class right but i don't i wouldn't expect that even as soon as 2022 even as soon as probably 2023 uh boon for three also any other people transferring out ricky white question mark ricky white's been you know buzzing around social media uh, for some reason recently, I don't have any Intel, Scott, I don't think you have any Intel on that. So personally, I don't think it's really worth a whole lot of speculation. We touched on the last kind of wave of transfers after the spring game for my money. I think anybody on the roster that would have transferred probably would have done it then not to say that there isn't a couple more coming. I'm sure there will be, but, um, there isn't any, but like we talked about Theo day for weeks before he transferred. I was like, yeah, he's probably gone. Right. I, I don't see anybody on the roster currently. That's like sticks out like that. So I don't know. It would just be blind speculation at this point. Yeah. The, the wave of transfers, obviously that came after the spring game, you know, you, you have your, you have a couple position battles every year. You have your spring position battles where, you know, you kind of establish a pecking order, of who is where, but decisions aren't made. Then you have your fall competition, which obviously you try to nail down as many position battles as you can. And then you have the season as it wears on. And um, between now and fall camp, you're not going to see a whole lot of transfer because these guys aren't even seeing each other every day anymore. Um, A lot of them, I think, go home in the interim now. So like you said, you'd think they would have transferred probably a few lingering ones, but everybody who made it through that spring wave, I think has is either knows where they are now and just, they're not quite there yet, but they have eligibility or 
they think they have a legit shot to uh, to earn some starting or at least some you know meaningful snaps uh, in the fall. So somebody like Ricky White, I mean, I don't see why he would consider himself any lower on the pecking order than any other number three receiver trying to earn that spot. And there's a lot of them. So maybe a receiver could go. It's a busy room uh, with a lot of experience left. So the, the starting spots are going to be hard to get the next couple of years, but Ricky white, maybe Mosley, who knows? I mean, it, it could be any of those uh, lower guys other than the guys coming in. Yeah. And that, that relates to another question in the future, how many transfers in and out do you see, will happen during the Mel Tucker era. And Scott, I'll, I'll let you kind of start with this one because I think we both took this in a little bit of a different direction. Like we're not going to give you a, a, I think there will be uh 92. Like <laughs> I don't think it's worth trying to, to come up with a number, but what did you, what was your take on this question? So the way I, will take it is, you know, what should we expect in a regular off season under Mel Tucker? Obviously this off season's a little different because it's the first kind of full off season Mel Tucker's had closer to quote unquote normal than last off season. It's obviously still a little bit weird with coronavirus and everything, but um, what will the normal off season look like or just the normal calendar year for transfers? And I guess I'd say it's not going to be like this every year. Um, unless things really go to shit, excuse me. Um, but it will be more than in the D'Antonio era, pretty significantly. Um, you have a couple factors. One, the fact that Mel Tucker, he does run his thing. I'm getting the vibe. He runs this program a little bit more like the NFL, a little bit more like a business, a little bit less. I don't want to say it's less of a family environment and that like he doesn't cultivate a family environment, but I think it's a lot more of like, you're here to work and prove it. And if you don't, somebody else is going to, whereas D'Antonio, D'Antonio had a little bit more of that earned loyalty um, that you could be a starter, even if there's an athletic guy coming up behind you because of uh, what you've given the program. So I think that lends itself to a few more guys saying, you know what, I'm not proving myself here. Mel's probably not going to give me a shot off of, you know, just my heart. So I'm going to go find another another place. And then the second, obviously is just, it's more common now than it was, you know, nationwide. These, these recruits coming in, consider it as more of an option. So those factors will keep it steadier than in the D'Antonio era, but I don't expect it to be like this every year. You make a good point there. And I, I basically agree with everything you said, like there, the, the difference is drastic and it, it will be forever. But again, will it will never be like this off season again for almost any school in the country. This was unheard of type of, of roster turnover through the the transfer market. So this was just, okay. I got all of these dudes on the roster that I didn't recruit that I don't really particularly want to be playing on my football team. And I'm sure there was some communication behind closed doors and people can criticize the type of, we don't really want you here type of attitude by Mel Tucker for a lot of these kids. And I'm sure it wasn't phrased like that, but I I'm guessing that there were conversations with a lot of these guys that basically said, Hey, you're not the type of player that I would have recruited. And I'm going to be working on recruiting a different type of athlete. And I don't see you, fitting my system perfectly. 
If you want to stay, compete, prove me wrong, the spot's yours. You, you have earned a scholarship at this school, and I will honor that scholarship if you want to compete and prove me wrong. If you want to go another path, I understand. We'll help you in, in every part of the process, and, and we'll make sure we, we do best by you. So I'm sure those types of conversations were had legitimately. And obviously, it's going to be more professional than basically like, hey, we don't want you here. You might as well leave. And again, there's not going to be this level of, of roster turnover ever again, but staffs nowadays, they have somebody that's on staff specifically scouting transfer markets. Like the, they're on staff only to worry about transfers. They're not recruiting high school kids. And it's another way to improve the roster. And we've seen it like with Nick Saban at Alabama, even they're using this every single year. And they're getting high-level guys coming in to, to fill spots that they don't have somebody ready for. So it's going to be a reality of college football. It's going to be a reality of Mel Tucker and the way he runs the program. I just think that's something we're going to have to be ready for. There's going to be a lot of roster turnover in any given season. And that's why you follow podcasts like the Standing Room Spartans to keep you up to date on all of those type of guys, where they're going. Um, and, and what these lineups are going to look like, what the depth charts are going to look like. Cause it's, it's getting pretty hard to keep up with. I'm not going to lie. Even for us. Uh, is King for Miami on track to play in the beginning of the season? Heard he got hurt last season. So Derek King, the, uh, quarterback for university of Miami, he tore his ACL last year is one of the best players in college football. I mean, straight up, uh, if he's healthy and playing in that game, it's going to be a tough game to win. If he's not, they're going to be putting out a backup quarterback out there. It's going to give us a better chance, right? I mean, it's pretty simple that way. The only information I have is that Las Vegas has him as the sixth highest odds to win the Heisman trophy. I don't think he would be nearly that high if they weren't confident that he was going to start the season. So I guess reading the tea leaves a little bit there, six highest odds to win the Heisman. I'm guessing he's healthy and he's going to be starting the season, but um, it, will he be full strength? I don't know, but he's a damn good quarterback. He's a damn good athlete. He, he's one of those running dual threat kind of guys, even more of a runner than he is a passer. So that's going to be a tough game either way. And if he is anywhere near a hundred percent, that makes it that much tougher, tougher because he is a dynamic athlete. Uh, playing the quarterback spot for Miami. Yeah, I don't keep a, a pulse too closely on the quarterback room at Miami, but um, all signs point to him being ready for the season. Uh, he didn't participate in the spring, but his coach was saying he's crushing all the benchmarks. Obviously, that's his coach, so um, take that with an enormous grain of salt. But um, he should play, and we're playing in week three, so we will have a chance to see him in a couple of games against – we talked about it earlier, good competition in Alabama and Appalachian state. So we'll know what we're coming up against. We'll know what he looks like and how game ready he is. But right now I'd expect him to be there. Boone for three. Again, I always thought that if Mark D'Antonio just replaced Staten and Bowman, his end at Michigan state could have finished with a lot more success. Do you agree? Or is my disdain for those two blinding me from other issues? I think most Michigan state fans have thought about the end of D'Antonio uh, a lot in a lot of different lights uh, perspectives. I just think 
there was no one specific move or two specific moves he could have made. I just think it was time. Uh, The more time that has gone on since then, the more time we've had to kind of think on it. Could he have fired Dave Warner and hired a hot shot, young offensive coordinator? Could he have, I, he could have done a lot of things. And I think the end result would have been about the same. I just think he was, he was fried, man. You could see it in his face. He was not able. I I won't even say that he wasn't willing. He wasn't able to put everything he had into that program the the same way that he did in 2007 when he got hired in 2012 when he you know made his first real run with Kirk Cousins in 2015 and so on I just it was time to go the 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 marriage was over and the circumstances were unfortunate but I, I don't think that there's any specific moves that could have been made yeah, I'm going to disagree with the question as well um, because I think it's unfair to say if he fired these guys at the end, would things have gone differently? Because if he was the type of coach who was going to fire those, all those coaches that some of the fans wanted fired here and there, he wouldn't have gotten to where the he wouldn't have gotten the program to where he got it. He never would have had the rise. I mean, his loyalty was one of the biggest reasons he got the recruits that he did. He had the coaching staffs that he did. Um, And I know a lot of people made a a negative point of his loyalty near the end because he kept some guys around when it was clearly beyond kind of their expiration date. Um, But I don't think the program would have been what it was without that attitude. So yeah, he could have fired Staten and Bowman at the end, but he would have been a different coach if he did that. And uh you know, we got the good with D'Antonio and we got the downside to his approach uh, near the end. And and that is what it is. But at the end of the day, we all know how much of an emotional tone, a mental, um, an emotional toll and a mental toll being a football coach at a high level like that takes on someone. And it takes a lot more emotional energy to fire your friends just for the sake of taking your program to the next level. And I just think he wasn't ready for that. So like Kevin said, it, the marriage was at a logical conclusion. Uh, it stinks that we kind of had to sputter out at the end, but um, I think what happened happened uh, because of the co- the coach that uh, D'Antonio was. Yeah. I, I just, like you said, I mean, it, it was the end uh, plain and simple. Last question from Boone for three. Did D'Antonio not put focus on nutrition and other health ideas as much as Tucker? Seems like all these different concepts Mel has done this year have been new. Example, earlier in season, the linemen talked about stretching and yoga as something new. Same for nutrition and other things. Scott, any thoughts? My initial answer is, um, I don't remember how the question was phrased, but Tucker is putting more of an emphasis on that. But I don't think that's a knock on D'Antonio or the way that we used to do things. I just think sports science has come a really long way in the last 14 years. Um, you know, D'Antonio, I'm sure his staff brought in the latest and greatest in 2007. But nutrition 
over the last 15 years, sports nutrition has changed dramatically. It was something that we knew was important back then, but now I think we're really starting to realize it is essential. I mean, it is as paramount as weightlifting. It is as paramount as running drills on the field or getting into scrimmages, hitting drills, whatever it is in football. I think we know now nutrition is as big a factor as anything else. And Tucker and his staff have brought that in from day one. So I think it's just a new look because of the freshness around the program in general. Yeah. I think this is similar to what we talked about with the transfers, right? Like it's just, we're in a different era with this stuff, man. And yeah, the, the progress we've made in this field since in the last five years, let alone the last 10 for 15 years is incredible. Uh, but like you said, I mean, we have made a full commitment to it. Jason Novak that had a strength and conditioning has by all counts been awesome. And he's really turned this thing around and, and just doing it in a different way. Uh, you have people that were hiring on staff like Amber Reinstein, the head of, of performance and, and dietitian, like that's, that's making a big impact on this. I'll give a shout out to Joe Powell, assistant strength and conditioning coach. Scott, I don't know if you know this. I grew up right down the street from Joe Powell, one of my brother's good friends growing up. We played a lot of uh, driveway hockey together, usually kicked my ass. He's a big dude. But uh, yeah, shout out Joe Powell if you're listening. Maybe we'll try to get him on the pod. It's going to say, got to get him on the pod. Have him yeah. answer the question. Have him answer some nutrition <laughs> you, questions. They got know, those cool. It's a long off season, man. Joe, if I you're listening, to... we're going to get you on here. Joe, I have some questions about those cool weightlift trackers, like on the, the power racks. Have you seen those where they like tell you how much work you've done each rep and like where your peak power was in the rep and stuff? I have. Yeah. I have questions. I don't know anything about those, but those look sick. <laughs> I kind of want one just to see like me compared to, uh, you know, top of the line, like division one football player. I'm not but... sure. I'm not sure. I still want to see those numbers anymore. <laughs> I want to, I want to see me doing a power snatch and I want to do like, I want to do Naquan Jones doing a power snatch and just see the, the, the analytic difference in that. Yeah. I'll hum you real quick. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to reach out to him. I, I think uh, my brother is still in contact with him. So we'll, we'll try to, we'll try to get him on the pot. I think that would be a fun episode. Uh, but yeah, I think there is, there is a lot of emphasis there. Um, fun question here. Well, maybe not fun. I guess there could be a depressing end to it. Coach mix sway mix. How long will Mel Tucker be at MSU? And as a follow-up, what is more likely a, Mel Tucker leaving to take a better job or two Mel Tucker being fired for poor poor performance. I almost messed it up again there. So what basically what's more likely he leaves to take a better job or he gets fired and how long will he be there? This is really interesting and it ties into the Nick Saban question at the end actually, but uh, I, I went ahead and looked. So as far as coach salaries around the country, uh, from what we know, uh, a lot of this stuff is is not 100% accurate because there's a lot of bonuses and hidden money that some of these coaches get that the, the public schools aren't really declaring honestly. But according to what we know, Mel Tucker is the 15th highest paid college football coach. So if you're going to leave Michigan State to go to a, another school 
for in theory, it's for one of two reasons. You think that you can go win a championship and excel your football career. Uh, Mel Tucker is an NFL guy. We don't know. Does he have NFL inspiration aspirations? Does he, you know, that that's option a or B is somebody's going to pay him more money. And we've seen B uh, played out in moving from Colorado to Michigan state already. Again, he's the 15th highest paid head coach. So that would tell you that there's only 14 other schools that would have a chance to lure him away with a bigger contract. Um, a lot of those schools, Alabama is Nick Saban's job until he retires or dies. And when, whenever he does, they're going to have their pick of whoever they want, probably NFL included, because I don't know if there's a better job in the sport of football than being the head coach at Alabama right now. Um, LSU seems pretty secure. Clemson with Dabo Swinney, unless he goes to Alabama to replace Nick Saban is kind of the rumor. I don't know why he'd do that. Um, I mean, you got Michigan, Mel Tucker's not leaving to go to Michigan. There's just a lot of these schools that don't really make a whole lot of sense unless we're living in a world where Mel Tucker brings us to two college football playoff appearances. Then we have a whole different story, but I don't know how many schools would realistically lure him away from Michigan state at this point with how much he's getting paid with his assistant coaches pool and all of that. The other side is, will he get fired? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I, so it's two-part question. How long will he be around and how will he go? What's more likely is he will get fired. They will mutually agree to part ways, whatever they call it, but he won't make the cut and we'll move on someday. I mean, that's just statistically more likely given where we are as a program and where we want to be um, and how many coaches fail at doing that. And that's nothing against Mel Tucker, just talking statistically, probably more likely than him getting lured away. Like you said, there's maybe 15 programs in the country that a can pay their coaches enough and B would pay their coaches enough and, and would attract him from a, I guess, a prestige level. Uh, if you want well, to put that's it that the thing. way, it's, it's even plus that is it's not even just paying him more, but you have to pay him enough to give him a reason to leave. Right. Like yeah. we paid him a whole lot more than Colorado did. And that's why he left, Right, you have to make it a yeah. significant pay increase. Yeah. So with all that in mind, it's hard to predict that he will leave to go up. Like you said, unless we reach heights at least as high as D'Antonio took us. But D'Antonio, when he was here, even at peak, I mean, after 2015, whatever it was, how much chatter was there that someone was going to sweep him away? I mean, there was like the Texas rumors one year. Um, that was like the only major program that really made bubbles. And I know D'Antonio's older. He's kind of old school, so maybe he doesn't have the same market. But nonetheless, we, we were a really good team. Uh, he wasn't getting paid top-tier money teams could have come in for him. Didn't go to, you know, go for it. Um, Mel Tucker does seem, this is just a feeling. He does seem more likely to, I don't want to say abandon ship, like something negative, but he seems more likely to move jobs under the same circumstances with the same offers on the table than D'Antonio does. Maybe that's just a measure of loyalty because D'Antonio was around for 12 years, whatever it was. Um, 
So I could see him going for the right offer. I just don't know how likely it is that an offer will come. Now, the kind of core of the question, I think, is what's more likely Mel Tucker does really well or Mel Tucker does really poorly. Right. And I think it's more likely he does really poorly. I mean, we still don't really even know if, if his coaching staff can put together a competent team. I mean, we've seen seven games. So for all we know, we're going to win two games (laughs) the next four years and he's going to be gone and we're going to be out 30 mil. Yeah. And what really scares me about that is if the Mel thing doesn't work and the, the board of trustees said, well, we paid all that money for this. Yeah. We're not doing that again. Yeah. Um, No, I, I don't know. That's, that's tough. Like in, in the, grander scheme of like you said what's what's more likely he does really well or it it just doesn't work i i would like to think that all signs are pointing towards it being more likely that he does really well because of the way that he's modernized the program because of the way that we've just seemed he he seems to have a a finger on the pulse of the sport right now and how to attract talent, how to build a roster. The one thing that we don't know is, does he have that same finger on the pulse for a coaching staff? So I think that's kind of an interesting part here. I I feel pretty comfortable saying Mel Tucker knows how to build a roster. Does he know how to build a coaching staff? We have no idea. So I think that part is going to be what either dooms him or what propels him uh, it's his ability to read the market and his ability to read his own staff and, and make those calls at the right times and like we've talked about it before with a guy like jay johnson who are we saying jay johnson should be fired right now no but i'm saying if jay johnson comes out next year and we score 18 points a game he should be fired even if it's 18 games into his MSU career. And one of them was, you know, a COVID year where he didn't have an off season. He's got a bunch of new players to work with. I don't care if we're scoring less than 20 points a game, you should be fired plain and simple. And so if Mel Tucker has that same philosophy and he can go out and hire a better coach, given the the better circumstances probably of, you know, actually being in the market for the other offensive coordinators and not being like three months late but i i think that's what it's going to come down to if you ask me right now i i I do feel good about the way that this is going and i think the more likely answer would be that this is going to be a consistent nine to ten win program because of the way that i've seen him turn over the roster and because of the guys that i know he's aiming to recruit um how likely is that? I'm not really sure, but I do think that that's more likely than this being a failed experiment, being a team that's struggling to get to a bowl game. Yeah. And you mentioned the coaching staff and how important that is and what, you know, makes it even more important as far as the hires he's making is that he does not call the plays on either side of the ball. So the recruiting and him being a great recruiter and knowing how to build a roster and how to go find and get your guys. That's great. And that's a great job or a great strength for a coach that is not calling plays. I mean, it's a great strength for any coach, but if you're not calling plays, especially you want to be able to at least go get the players to put on the field. But the play calling hires are the two most important hires more than any recruit 
that you land more than anything else, your two play callers are the most important hires you can make. And we have yet to know if Jay Johnson or Scotty Hazleton are any good as MSU play callers. Um, nothing against them, but the defense looked bad last year. It's, it's going to be a miracle if it's really good this year, because we've got a lot of holes to fill on the offensive side. We should have weapons and we should have at least an average to a little bit above average offense, um, even given the holes that we have on that side of the ball. So if we struggle again, like you said, Kevin, this year um, to score points, we may be giving up points, but if we struggle to score points, that's on the coaches this year. And the, the last one we'll hit on here. Uh, there were two questions. One was about like a floor and ceiling for this year. And the other one was uh, about kind of the offensive line. And if it's possible to get to eight or nine wins and we can save those for later on in the off season, as we start getting to some predictions, uh, because there's one that I really want to hit on from Spartan bot here, Spartan eight, one, eight, seven, seven, zero. What, would the Michigan state football program have been like in the two thousands had Saban stayed for another one or two years? I think this is fascinating. So Nick Saban, um, you know, we, we all kind of know the story. I think a lot of our fan base from the analytics we have are not younger people. (laughs) I don't think we have a lot of college age kids who don't really remember or don't understand that, that Nick Saban was our football coach. Um, he, he obviously was at Michigan state for, for just a few years, uh, before leaving for LSU in 1999 in the middle of the season, uh, I guess towards the end of the season, it was after the bowl game, I think that he left and Bobby Williams took over. Bobby Williams was a disaster. And then John L. Smith took over. John L. Smith was a disaster. So had had Nick Saban stayed another couple years because the trajectory of the program was going straight up. He went six and five, and then he went six and six, and then he went seven and five, then he went six and six, then he went nine and two. And that nine and two, the two losses were he beat Ohio State, uh, who was like a, a number one team that year. We were going up, 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 up. And then Bobby Williams was the wrong hire and it went straight back down. And we know the the spot we were in before Mark D'Antonio got hired. Had Nick Saban stayed another, and the question isn't like, had Nick Saban never left MSU, right? Because that's a totally different story. And I don't even think it's a realistic story, but if he had just stayed another two, three years, right? The trajectory was going up. You got to, you got to think, man, that, that recruiting class in 2000, Nick Saban brought Charles Rogers to Michigan state, right? Like he was starting to get some big time guys. Charles Rogers was like an undisputed top five player in America. And I just, I think this is fascinating, man. Yeah, so Nick Saban was hired in 1995 at Michigan State. So his first senior classes were coming out in the 99 and 2000, depending on how many years they stayed in college drafts. He left in 1999, just as his first recruiting classes were entering the league. The 2000, 2001 and 2002 recruiting classes each had So 2000 had seven draft picks, 2001 had three, 
2002 has had five. Um, that's right up there with two out of three of the best drafts Michigan State's had. There was other years where we get up to five, seven draft picks in a year. I mean, this dude was bringing in talent. Not and he to did mention it every that stop. it was first round. It with Julian Peterson, Charles Rogers. It was high Plexico level. Burris, yeah, TJ it, Duckett. It wasn't. I mean, TJ Duckett was a first round pick, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, mid first round. So he was getting the guys he wanted, and he's continued to do that. Obviously, LSU and Alabama probably have a little bit more resources behind their football team, but he did it here as well. I mean, if we just read the tea leaves as far as the talent that he had, and then the talent kind of went off a cliff for a couple of years with everything else that happened. But um, I think that's enough to say between what we know about Saban as an on-the-field coach, what we can see from the talent he was bringing into the program, and the trajectory it was in when, when he got here, I think it's hard to imagine a world where we didn't have another three, four, five good years. Um, I think it was probably inevitable given where Michigan state was at his program back then that if his success continued at MSU. He was going to continue to get courted by big money programs. Um, but yeah, I mean, a couple more years with talent like that and then making the right hire on the back end of it uh, would have been huge. So that's, that's where it's interesting, right? Because a couple more good seasons, like, okay, that's great. Nice for the fans. But what does that really do for you as a program? Well, it might just attract a bigger name, right? So in 2003, when we hired Bob, so Bobby Williams was the interim coach for that bowl game when Nick Saban left for LSU and then ultimately was hired as the full-time coach, right? So if, if Bobby Williams was never hired because Nick Saban would have kept on coaching a couple more, let's say nine, 10 win type seasons, a couple more first round draft picks, a couple more great recruiting classes, instead of hiring John L Smith, who could you have gotten? And I think that is such an interesting question. John L Smith to his credit was probably a, a pretty highly sought after guy. He was coming from Louisville. Uh, the, his records in five seasons at Louisville, he won seven games, seven games, nine games, 11 games, and then stepped back to a seven win season before getting hired at Michigan state. Now this is Louisville in conference USA. So this is not power five Louisville. This is a conference USA team. So take that for, take that with a grain of salt. When you say you won 11 games, it, it was not quite the same as we think like a Michigan state winning 11 games, but all that to say he was a younger guy. He, he was coming off an 11 win season at Louisville. He was probably a pretty highly, you know, courted guy as far as the coaching search goes. But one of those guys that we see, like, for example, um, Lance Leipold, he was the Buffalo head coach the last couple of years. And he was one of those guys that, you know, if you listen to national podcasts, if you read national college football writers for all of the mid-level power five schools that were looking for coaches, a lot of them were, were targeting a guy like Lance Leipold, right? If you're like a, a Missouri doesn't have an opening, but that's the first name that comes to mind, a Missouri, a Purdue, right? That level of program a guy like that is what you're looking for. So we got John L Smith, who at the time was that, you know, a good hire for a mid-level program. But if Nick Saban propels us to maybe a new year six bowl, 
uh, by the time that he hangs it up a couple years later, does that allow us to go after a bigger name? Does that allow us to get a better head coach to replace him? And does that then eliminate this pre-Mark D'Antonio dead era of Michigan State football? I I would have to assume it would it would all come down to the hire, right? Even great schools with all the resources and all the prestige and all the recruits like Texas have have butchered hires before. So it, it's not a guarantee that we would have gone out and hired a better coach than John L. Smith. But I, I do think that that's fascinating because of the idea that success just continues to exponentially propel the, the program forward. And so what could have been with, with Nick Saban just staying a couple more years, man, it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, it's, uh, unfortunately we were talking about this. There's not a whole lot of archives out there for what the coaching carousel was like back in the off season of 2003. We tried to dig up a few more anecdotes as far as names that were available. There were a couple, we did find one around, uh, when D'Antonio was hired and some of the names that were bouncing around in Brian Kelly, right. Could we have gotten Brian Kelly? Jim Harbaugh was hired at Stanford. Take that as you will. Um, yeah, there were a few names in there. Actually, a couple other names that were on our 2003 coaching staff for Michigan State. Jim McElwain was assistant yep. head coach. Yep. And Robert Saleh was a graduate assistant. I, I did know he was at Michigan State. I didn't know that he would have been on the staff at that time. Yeah, so John L. Smith uh, coaching tree right there. <laughs> Learned everything he knew from old John. <laughs> yeah, everything you saw from those 49ers defenses under Robert Sala. Yeah, that credit John L. Oh, Smith with that. Yeah, it's, it's a Michigan so, State accomplishment. The other side of the hypothetical, thats it's stupid to even bring up because like you said, they, you would have never kept him. But if Nick Saban was at Michigan State until now, if Nick Saban just oh. continued coaching at Michigan State, his whole career, right? 30 years at Michigan State. Uh, how many national championships? Or do we win a national championship? And how many? Hmm. So I'm going to assume the butterfly effect is it doesn't exist here, right? So it was the same, like going into each season, the same national circumstances were at play. The same teams were up and yeah, down. And yeah. the same Alabama years, would have right? found another coach that maybe they're not Saban great, but they won a couple national titles. Clemson finds Dabo Sweeney. He's winning national titles there. Texas still has their run under Mac Brown. You still got, you know, USC, you still got, uh, Georgia is still like all of these things still exist, except Nick Saban spends his whole career at Michigan state. Okay. So doesn't have the resources that, that they do at Alabama and never would. I think we can, we can accept that, that Alabama has spent way more money at, at their football program than Michigan state ever would even given, Hey, we're a national program that, that maybe is, is competing for a national title we would never spend that kind of money. I think we can so, just accept that part of it. Okay. So John Cooper, Ohio state's coach from 1988 until nine, until 2000 through the 2000 season. This is important through 98 really well. They won the sugar bowl in 
98. They finished second in both polls, lost Michigan one game. State. He had a few other double-digit. That was the loss. Okay, so he then has a couple iffy seasons for Ohio State standards, six and six, eight and four. He's out. Okay, so this is your first window. Saban stays. He's out after the 2000 season. You have a you have a a peak predator void in the Big Ten, right? This is your chance to step on top of the pyramid and say, "I'm the dog." Nick Saban would have had a chance right then. That's an interesting. Nobody layer. else in the conference was up. Ohio State comes down. Michigan fills that void for a sec because they, you know, their rivals down. So Michigan jumps up, but Saban could have been there and could have said in 2000 or 2001, I'm the big tens dog. Now look at me. I am the captain now. So if he, if he grasps that and then all of big 10 countries, regional recruiting says Nick Saban's the guy to play for in the big 10, that changes everything right away. The, the, your early two thousands, you have, national championship potential before each season who knows if you would have been able to do that maybe the program wasn't quite at that stage yet but we're talking stays until now okay so that was 20 (laughs) years ago 21 years ago now you have the end of jim trestle's era where luke fickles one year as interim head coach he goes like six and seven i do think it's important to note that ohio state they had to they had a bad call that won them a national title. Like for how great they were under Trussell at times, they were still out athleted by the sec, even for being the great big 10 team that was getting whoever they wanted in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan. They just still didn't really have the athletes to keep They got blown out by Florida a couple of times. Like they, they won on a bad call against Miami uh, that was a great team. They had like Chris Gamble was a first round pick. I, I remember he played both sides of the ball, but um, so even if Saban steps into that void, like he's still getting out athleted by SEC schools, most likely, unless he just changes that philosophy where Jim Trussell was an Ohio guy. He was recruiting the Midwest. Does Saban kind of take a national approach earlier than other big 10 schools had at that point? Yeah. So you'd have your second opportunity to become the team uh, right around 2011. And then Ohio state took off under urban Meyer again, who knows if that would have happened, obviously, but we're assuming the same circumstances. <laughs> so you would have had a couple of urban Meyer in the big 10. <laughs> oh man. You could have been the sec. Maybe that was it. Maybe that was a big Ten's chance and they let it slip through their grasp. But um no, I think the early 2000s would have been the opportunity. We mentioned the talent that he had coming into the program at the time. Ohio State goes down. You've got just a dogfight for the top of the pile between you and Michigan while Ohio State's down. If, if he firmly grasps that and institutes a lot of the things he did at Alabama, albeit with a little bit less money uh, and resources, I think you could have been looking at us you know, shifting more permanently the, uh, the power struggle in the Big Ten. Yeah, and it's like – it's easy to, to, I guess, not give as much credit to Nick Saban as he deserves because, well, he's at Alabama. Look how easy. Again, look at Texas. Look at USC. It's no matter how many, how much money you have, how, all the resources, how many boosters you have, it's still no guarantee. 
And before Nick Saban, there was a little bit of a down period at Alabama. They were winning like six games a year for a long stretch of time. So I think Nick Saban is just such a good motivator, communicator. He's He really understands his football program, what his staff needs, what his, what his player, what he needs from his players, what he, how he communicates with his players. Um, I, I, he has, he and urban Meyer, speaking of the two of them are the only college football coaches who have ever won a national championship at two different schools. And one, I mean, that, that measure is enormous because you can say, yes, they were both good programs, but national championships are hard to come by. And I've done it in two entirely different circumstances. And we had one of those, again, there's only two ever. And one of those guys was coaching at Michigan state at a pretty critical time. So I I really like this question. I think those two years too are really important because you see the talent that was coming out of the program. then. Right. So I, I don't, Scott, tell me before I ask you this question, do you have like the Alabama record by season in front of you? I do not. I have okay. I think Ohio State's Don't in front pull of me it up. and Michigan State's. Okay. I got a trivia question for you. When was the last season that Alabama had not been the AP number one team at any point in the season? When was the last time that we went an entire college football season without Alabama ever being number one? Oh, man. Uh, it feels like they've been good for my entire life. Um, can I ask when Nick Saban was hired? He was hired. His first season was 2007. So I'm going to say 2008. The correct answer is 2007. (laughs) Jesus. They, this first season, they went seven and six ever since then. They have won at least 10 games and they have been the number one team in the country at some point in the season, every single year. Is Nick Saban, the John Wooden of college football? Yes. Nick Saban's the greatest college football coach of all time. And it's not close. I agree. And so if he comes to Michigan, if he he stays at Michigan state, which again, it never would have happened, but he, he would have won a title. I don't know how many because of the restriction, because of the, you know, there would have been some things standing in his way, but I, I think he would have gotten at least one. I I'm very confident in saying that he's just that good. I mean, he won 10 games in his fifth season. Well, nine games, I think. Right. And then we won the bowl game. Uh, He was just getting started. And again, I I know I've said it like seven times. You can see the talent that was coming out of the program um he was winning games and there was a couple other things that were coming down the pike with ohio state that he didn't know about obviously uh but that could have set us up for a entirely different trajectory that being said we never would have got the mark d'antonio glory years so <laughs> i love mark d'antonio but i would have <laughs> traded that <laughs> yeah um, no, I, that was a really interesting question that I, I wanted to take down a little bit of a deep dive. So I hope everybody appreciated that. And thank you, Spartan Bot, because that's one of the better off-season uh, mailbag questions that we've ever gotten. So I, I really appreciate that. And everybody who submitted questions, uh, we will do some more mailbag stuff throughout the off-season. Like I said, we got some things down the pipeline that are coming. 
So make sure, uh, again, once a week throughout this whole offseason, we'll be coming with you. Um, I'm sure Scott and I both have some vacations planned, but we will make sure to get a pod out to you somehow every week through this offseason. So uh, until next week, hopefully everybody has a great Monday. Hopefully everybody has a great week. Hopefully this weather starts turning around for us. And go green. Go white. Take care, folks.